Free Podcasting is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try. Repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. I'm Lucia. I'm Janet. Hi, Janet. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Lucia. How's Calgary? <laughs> it's cold. It's so cold. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So, are you ready to talk about this movie that uh, one of our listeners chose for us? Absolutely, yeah. So, we actually, we didn't mention it um, at the end of the last podcast, what it was going to be. So, I was going to say it's a surprise, but we'll already have, like, tweeted things out by now. So, it won't be a surprise at all. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, today we're recasting The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers Netflix movie from 2018. And as Janet mentioned, it it was a listener suggestion from our listener, Sally. Thanks, Sally. Um, I wonder if Sally is is going to even listen to this. I hope she wasn't. I I don't know if Sally was a he or she, but I hope this person was not a one-time listener. Well, so I got the impression that uh, Sally listens when she knows the movie. And so since she suggested this one, I hope she'll listen. Listens to this as well because this was like two hours of my life that I will never get back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, how can I put this? It's not a fun watch. Um, yeah. So (laughs) before we get down to brass tacks, though, uh, we so last time I was complaining that (laughs) I feel like I'm always complaining. I was complaining that we were down to our last iTunes review. And so we needed another one to be able to read on this episode. Lo and behold, someone came through Janet. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, their their name, their username is uh, Muddy Halo. But I, I only assume they mean muddy because it's not spelled muddy. Uh, although I don't think spelling is their strong suit. This was our first one-star review, sadly. Um, <laughs> and uh, they took the time to say, The sound is horrible and the intro is crinny. I think they mean cringy. Uh, it's hard to get through with the phone call thing. Now, honestly... I get it. I can't even like argue. Yeah, we we have Janet on the phone most of the time. And that's an unfortunate issue. And if you can't get past that sound thing, I get it. (laughs) So I wonder if do you think that this could possibly be somebody who we know, who has written in under like an anonymous name? God, I hope not. Okay, I'll say this. This person, this user, has only written four iTunes reviews since 2012. And they took the time to write this. <laughs> I, think, I, I think this is someone who we know who is not brave enough or confrontational enough to tell us to our faces what they think of our podcast. So this is what they've done. Well, I will say this. I mean... Whoever this person is, 
We totally agree with you. The sound on our podcast is horrible. Uh, There's not much that we can do about this, seeing as uh, Lucia and I live in different cities, and neither one of us has a podcast studio in our homes Mm -hmm. or, you know, amazing podcast equipment. I don't even know what we would need for for this, but... um, yeah, I think it's really funny, too, that whoever it is, <laughs> like, they took the time to write a bad review, but, like, they spelled everything wrong. Yeah. They spelled all the words wrong. There's no punctuation, no grammar, <laughs> poor spelling. Um, so, number one, it definitely wasn't my husband, because his spelling and grammar is much better than that. And number two, he doesn't listen. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Like, I I know I sound like such an asshole being the grammar police, but I totally am that person who, I always think if you can't take the time to, like, spell things properly, then why even bother? I have a real problem with that. So the fact that everything was spelled wrong in in your iTunes review... We don't even take you seriously. Sorry. Yeah, th- that's exactly <laughs> it. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm the exact same way. Yeah. Are we related? We suggest <laughs> that you um, brush up on your spelling skills and then you can diss us properly. Then we, we will take your diss totally seriously at that point. Yes. Money Halo, there's this thing called MiriamWebster.com. <laughs> since you probably spend your entire day online you should definitely check that website out or you know just turn on the spell check on your phone or computer (laughs) that'll that'll get you a head start right there but anyway thanks for taking the time to diss us (laughs) Uh, even though it's not much of a burn like if you're gonna leave a burn leave a sick ass burn right yeah it's not even clever my opinion Yeah, I'd actually appreciate one-star reviews if they were clever or made me laugh. (laughs) Yeah, in all seriousness, I mean, I think it's great when people write in with commentary or criticism or whatever, but I'm always open to sort of constructive criticism, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and the other thing is, we are so self-loathing as it is, (laughs) I think that there's... Absolutely. Sorry, Muddy Waters or whatever your name is. (laughs) So I agree. And let's move on and never talk about our friend again. So Janet, were you able to find any box office information on this? Because it's a Netflix thing. No, I wasn't. Hmm. I was not able to find box office. (laughs) Netflokes. Netflokes, which is where this was released. Mm -hmm. Uh, Netflix does not disclose their box office results. So I just have um, some financials that I picked up from IndieWire, which was my reference. Hmm. Uh, The movie made $6,000 in the first day. It was released in LA and New York. And then over 
over the four-day opening weekend, the total was about $45,000 is what the box office made. I could not find any budget numbers, so I have no idea how much they spent making this movie. However, I would guess that it was substantial because they did a lot of location Mm -hmm. shots, and it was all shot in the U.S. as well. So they didn't come up to Canada where it's cheaper they shot in the U.S. and uh, and it just looks like it was an expensive film to make. Yeah, and there's pretty big names in each segment. Yeah, but unfortunately, I was not able to find the budget of the movie. That's interesting that Netflix doesn't disclose that. Like, I I already knew they didn't disclose how many views things get or anything like that. But I thought they'd have to release budget, but I guess they don't have to. No, they don't. Netflix is very covert mm-hmm. in what they uh, what they release, which I think we should really be skeptical of that. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think we should be scared that Netflix never wants to release any information. Or we should just bow down to our Netflix overlords. No. Well, you might <laughs> want to, but I won't. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, so for the synopsis, we have Six Tales of Life and Violence in the Old West following a singing gunslinger, a bank robber, a traveling impresario, an elderly prospector, a wagon train, and a perverse pair of bounty hunters. So, Janet, it sounds like you did watch all six segments. I did. You know what, You know what, Lucia? I want to ask Sally why Sally chose this movie in particular to be recast. Because, I mean, I never would have watched this if it wasn't for, for the podcast. I'm not a fan of the Coen brothers, so I don't gravitate towards their their films. But I would just be interested to know why Sally picked this movie. It seems sort of like an obscure pick. Yeah, I did see it when it came out because I am a fan of, well, overall, not every single thing. But I'm a pretty decent fan of the Coen brothers. So um, I watched this, like, immediately, basically. And I thought it was fine. Um, I also thought it was a strange pick for recasting until I started rewatching it, strictly thinking about recasting it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this would be a good recast. This would be a good recast. So I do hope that Sally writes back to us and lets us know her reasons for choosing it, because I'm also curious. But I, I enjoyed doing it. I agree. So do you want to start with our recasting choices? Absolutely. But first, let's take a little break. Repodcasting is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Working in the arts means income can be as varied as a time signature or brush stroke. ATB's branch for arts and culture was built for artists, so you can do your banking in a way that works for you, with a community of like-minded people. Creative and banking working together. It's why ATB will always be more than a bank. And now, back to the show. And we're back. So, Janet, how about we jump right into the recasting, and you can start. No, I'm not starting. (laughs) Okay. I started the last two podcasts. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, it's your turn to start. Go. Okay, okay. Uh, Okay, well, the first... So, we didn't recast all six segments, and in my rewatch, I only watched the first three segments, and then it was getting late, and I didn't feel like rewatching, because I knew that the one... The Zoe Kazan one, I really like her, but that segment was so long and so boring, I couldn't sit through it again. 
So in the first segment, we are recasting the title character, Buster Scruggs, played by Tim Blake Nelson. And I don't know him. Like, I didn't recognize him from anything else, although I have seen him in some things. I was trying to pick somebody. Like, this is a character who I think you're supposed to be rooting for. But he's also <laughs> not... I wasn't rooting for him. Am no? I the only person who thinks that Tim Blake Nelson looks like a rodent? Oh, dear. <laughs> well, we don't have to get mean. <laughs> I know, that sounds so mean, but he... <laughs> Every time I see him on screen, I think of a rodent. Okay. Well, Isn't that weird? That's fair. <laughs> well, I don't think it's fair, but maybe if anyone else feels that way, shoot us an email. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if anyone else feels that that's really mean, shoot us an email. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I did want somebody um, a little more charming because... I hate to put it in these terms. I hate to make it sound like I'm saying that he needs to be good looking for us to root for him. It's not quite that. But I didn't find any real like charisma or anything coming from this guy in this role. You know, he's a murderer. He's not really a good guy, but he is the good guy. So I think he is the good guy. Maybe I'm wrong on that too. So anyway, I, I tried to pick somebody who I think is more charming and somebody who can sing at the same time. So I went with Hugh Jackman. Really? Yeah. Try and picture okay. it. I, I think he'd do well in that role. Yes. I think he could play it. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Jackman is very versatile in his, in his skill set. I think he could do it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I agree with you in terms of charisma. I thought that given that that character is the namesake <laughs> of the film. I thought that it should have been more of a name, like a yeah. more of a, a blockbuster name, maybe, mm -hmm. or at least someone who's a little more familiar. I mean, I know who Tim Blake Nelson is. I've seen him in a lot of different things, but I think a lot of people won't, know who he is or like didn't know who he was for sure do you think that that's a fair comment yes that is fair <laughs> i certainly yeah. didn't recognize him only when i was oh, going really? through his imdb did i was i like oh i have seen him in things before but i didn't recognize him yeah he's well he's very much a character actor mm -hmm. yeah so I thought that they should have gone with someone who had a bigger name. And yeah, definitely someone who exudes more charisma on screen. Mm -hmm. Tim Blake Nelson is fine, but I thought that that character is, you know, because he's kind of larger than life, or he's certainly got a lot of swagger that they should have had a bigger name. So I recast Woody Harrelson. So I actually... <laughs> I gave Woody Harrelson a job that I thought he deserved <laughs> because he, I always think that he's so overplayed in every single movie. Um, but I really could have seen, he was actually the first person who came to mind, I would say within like the first five, 10 minutes that oh. I was watching it. I thought to myself, Woody Harrelson should have played this role. Yeah. 
Totally. Because Woody Harrelson just has that swagger and he has like that really big screen presence and he does, he is very charming. He does have like a very charismatic sort of on-screen presence and I thought he would have done this character justice. Yeah, nice. He would have been great. Now, can he sing? (laughs) I think he can. You know, I've heard Woody Harrelson sing. I mean, Tim Blake Nelson, I wouldn't say that he's an amazing. I think if you can hold a tune, like you could definitely play this part. And I know that I've heard Woody Harrelson sing before and that it didn't sound horrible. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, that's a good point. That that is a good point because it's more the other guy, the young upstart who sings, sings. The Buster Scruggs character was like, yeah, like you said, if he can carry a tune, that's enough. I am confident that Woody Harrelson has the singing ability to pull off this role. Yeah. Okay, cool. I like that choice, actually. I think that he would have been fantastic in this. Okay, so then uh, that's the only role we recast from that first segment. So moving on to the second segment, uh, I think it was called Near Algodones. The bank robber, played by James Franco, is the role that we chose to recast in that segment. And I don't know if who I picked will be that well-known, but I I thought James Franco was fine. I don't think he was, like, bad in it or anything. But also, um, I found him a little distracting. Do you like James Franco uh, as an actor? I don't know what to say to that. I don't don't like James Franco as a person. Let's start there. (laughs) Do you know him? He is very mean to me. No, of course, I don't know him. But what I know of him as a person, I don't like. And um, I there are things I've seen him in where I think he fits it perfectly. And he's really good. I also think he's really like pretentious and self serious. Is that a word? (laughs) He's too serious, even though he has done a lot of comedic stuff, too. And maybe that's it. Maybe I just prefer him in the comedic stuff. Yeah, anyway, I, I didn't think that he was bad, but it was distracting, maybe just because it's James Franco, and in this role, it was just kind of weird seeing him in this. So I picked Lee Pace. No, I don't. Where do you know him from? Did you watch the show Wonderfalls? It was a very short-lived Canadian show about Niagara Falls, or set in Niagara Falls, not about Niagara Falls. No, I must have missed that blockbuster show. Yeah, that 13 episode show. And then he was also the star of a show called Pushing Daisies, which that was on for a handful of years. I'm not sure how many. Oh, yeah, I I know the show. I just never watched it. Okay, I think if you saw a picture of him, you would recognize him, um, even if you don't know him by name. This role, to me, it's pretty subdued. At least when I was watching it and thinking of recasting it, there was nothing where I was like, oh, this character needs to be able to do X or Y or like, so I just, I think Lee is, Lee Pace is good. I think he's in the right age range and I think it would have been nice to see him in this. Okay. Um, I agree with you about James Franco. I'm not much of a fan mm-hmm. and I didn't really think that he did anything in this movie that was particularly spectacular. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure why he was cast in this role. He must be friends with the Cohen brothers. Yeah, or maybe he just like has wanted to work with them and that's how he got in. Perhaps. I don't know. Because I thought to myself, they could have slotted anyone mm-hmm. into this role. 
pretty much. Yeah. Like, James Franco didn't stand out for me. So I was watching it, and I thought that if we're going to use another big name, because all the vignettes had, other than Buster Scruggs, they had pretty well-known actors in the roles. So I thought of someone who could sort of play serious and somber. That was kind of what I got from that character. Okay. But someone who was maybe a little more likable. See, I don't think that James Franco is likable. He's not likable to me anyway. Mm -hmm. So I chose someone who's more likable to me and who I think maybe is more likable in general. Okay. I went with Chris Pine. Oh, okay. Because he's a relatively... I mean, people know who he is. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, a lot of people know who he is. I mean, he's done the... Mar- he's been in Marvel movies or... Yeah. Well, he was in Wonder Woman, right? Is Wonder Woman Marvel or DC? I don't even oh, know. Oh, it's DC. Yeah. But anyway, I think that he has good screen presence for sure. Like he definitely stands out. And I'd love to see him do sort of a a western. I don't know, has he done a western? I for didn't s- check his his filmography. For some reason I feel like he has. I feel like he has as well. I would like to see him in a western. If I haven't seen him in one yet, I would like to see him <laughs> in one. Yeah. I think he's got like that right that's, I don't know if it's swagger or that presence or I just think, you know, that seriousness, that, mm-hmm. that sort of somber, he does that. He's, he's accomplished at that. I've seen him do that in, in other movies that he's been in, and I think he would have been good. I giggled when you said his name because when you were talking about wanting to put in someone likable, for some reason I thought you were going to say Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually thought of him for this role, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's too much of a star for a movie like this. Yes, he also would have been distracting. (laughs) Yeah, but I would love to see Ryan Gosling in a a Western. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Ryan Gosling (laughs) on a horse? Yes, please. (laughs) Let's make it happen. Come on, Hollywood. I hope you're listening. (laughs) Ryan Gosling, if you're listening. (laughs) Let your next movie be a Western. Yeah, nice. Okay, so moving on to the third I keep calling the segments, um, the third tale in the movie. It was starring Liam Neeson and, uh, I had his name here, Harry Melling. Janet. Do you know who Harry Melling is? Okay, I did not know who he was until I read about the movie. He's Dudley Dursley. Yes, I had no idea he was in this film. Mm -hmm. So did you recognize him? Of course. He looks so different. He does look different, yes. But I I recognized him instantly. As soon as he popped up on screen, I was like, that's Dudley Dursley. What the (laughs) heck? That's great. Yeah, I was really surprised when I was reading about it that that's who that was. Um, But so in that tale, we decided to recast the Liam Neeson character. And this is the one that I had the most trouble with. I think really why? Okay, because that character is awful. <laughs> so awful and like I was just struggling to be like who do I want to put in this role? So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's like naive of me, but I just I didn't want to put anybody in this role. That character is so terrible. Can I ask you 
something, though? Don't you think that you could say that about every single character in every single one of these vignettes? <laughs> uh, none of them come out great. Because I kind of felt that that was the common, or at least one of the common threads in each vignette, was that all of these people were sort of morally bankrupt, in a sense. Yeah, but I'd say this, and, and maybe <laughs> maybe I'm screwed up, but I feel like the ones... The two that we just recast, for example, they're clearly not great people. They are morally bankrupt. They kill or they rob banks or whatever. But I was still kind of like, this is the hero of this vignette. And I was, I don't know, rooting for them. And I was definitely not rooting for Liam Neeson. I hope he's not the hero of that vignette. It was really upsetting. I don't know, that one to me stuck out more than the others where like okay. it upset me. He just threw the guy away like he wasn't even a human being. Okay. I yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. So, I don't know, to me that one was worse. But anyway, yeah, they're all pretty bad. <laughs> um so this is going to sound terrible, but so I thought of somebody who to me just from their look, they look like a bad guy. And uh -oh. that's Michael Shannon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Michael Shannon from The Weight of Water and or sorry, The Shape of Water and uh he was in Batman v Superman, which we previously recast as Zod, which I assume was a bad guy. I don't even remember him being in it. And he's in Nocturnal Animals. Again, I assume he's a bad guy in that. So Michael Shannon is always the bad guy. Yeah, and he looks like it too, poor guy. <laughs> so yeah, that was who I thought for this role. Like I would definitely buy it. That's good. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> that's, that's a good casting choice. He does always have that perpetually angry look yeah. on his face, almost like bordering on evil. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. When I saw Liam Neeson, I just thought, what's Liam Neeson doing in this movie? And then as the vignette went on, like, I don't think that he necessarily brought anything to that role mm -hmm. that, again, was a standout sort of performance. Yeah. I sort of felt that he was on the same level as James Franco in terms of the performance. It was nothing that, that stuck out. Like, I thought... Well, they could have really slotted, I don't know how many other actors in there who could have done a, a better job. Mm -hmm. I'm too used to seeing Liam Neeson, like, fighting off wolves <laughs> and, yeah. and, like, in all those Taken movies that I was just kind of like, I don't know, he looked almost out of place yeah. in this film. So I loved Harry Melling's <laughs> character. Like, I just thought he did such a beautiful job yeah he was he was standout for me i mean and not just because i'm a harry potter fan but i thought his was one of the best performances in the entire film i'd agree with that yeah he for was sure. really amazing and maybe that's why to me liam neeson is worse than the others because he harmed this amazing character yeah well he sees him as such a burden obviously yeah. right and then when he's no longer a meal ticket yeah. he's he's disposable so i wanted a british actor hmm. for that role even though liam neeson is not british because harry melling is british and then at one point during the vignette liam neeson's character says that he 
found Carrie Melling's character in London. So I thought, oh, oh I want a British actor. Okay. And I wanted someone who could sort of play that grizzled, wearisome sort of character. Like, I kind of got that from the character, was that he's just kind of slogging along through life. Yeah. And, you know, he's just got this discontent about his character, and he's kind of rough around the edges. And it's interesting, because Liam Neeson, I mean, while he looks older, I don't know how old Liam Neeson is. Can I tell um, you? Because I was shocked when I looked it up. Sure. He is 67 years old right now. Oh, really? I thought he was older than that. Oh, really? I thought he was younger. Oh, wow. No, he looks, and that's just the thing, I think they made him look even more grizzled. Sure. For this role, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I maybe it's the, the Harry Potter connection. I don't know, but mm -hmm. I chose Rafe Fiennes. Because oh. I love Rafe Fiennes. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for an excuse to recast him in, in anything. <laughs> and he's just one of those actors. He can take a role and he makes it his own, even if you don't necessarily think of him right off the bat in terms of physicality or whatever. He just really has that ability to embody a role and change it and shapeshift. Like, he's just one of those actors. Yeah. And I thought that he could definitely look, like, really wearisome and just portray that grizzled, vagabond, drunken, rough around the edges. I thought he would have done that really nicely, and he can certainly play evil. I mean, let's face mm -hmm. it, not that I didn't think that the character was evil, but oh. I just thought he he would have brought more to the character than, than Liam Neeson did. You know, I never would have thought of him myself, because to me... I don't picture Ray Fiennes as rough around the edges, but absolutely he could play that. He's one of those actors who he's constant. He's a shapeshifter, one hundred percent. Like I have seen so much of his work, and I'm always amazed by some of the roles that he takes on. Like they're so. You don't expect it because a lot of people sort of think of him as very classically English and he certainly has done a lot of theater. He's done a lot of Shakespearean theater as well and he definitely dominates those roles but then he does these sort of other unexpected things where you're like, wow, like I never would have thought of him in mm -hmm. that role and he just commands every performance. He's just so versatile and so talented. Yeah, definitely. I like it. Way to think outside the box, Janet. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how outside the box it is, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, this movie's pretty new. It's just a year old, not even. And again, it's not a fun movie in any way, so I didn't find really many fun facts. <laughs> but it is the longest Coen Brothers film that they've made at 132 minutes. Yeah, and it felt wow. long. It felt well, so long. Well, I was long. reading that this was their the first movie that they shot in digital. Yes, that's right. I will say the one thing that really impressed me with just the overall look of the film was the cinematography. For sure. Yeah. The cinematography was beautiful. I, I mean, the agree. look of it was just 
simple. Yeah. When I watched it the first time, I watched it on like a proper TV screen. And then when I was watching it for this, I was watching it on my phone. And even on the phone, like I could still see that it was beautiful, but I was glad that that wasn't the way I was watching it for the first time. Because yeah, you definitely miss out on, you know, the gorgeous cinematography watching it on a tiny little screen. Yeah, (laughs) it was someone named Bruno Del Bonnell. Good job, guy. (laughs) Well done. Yeah, Yeah, it was beautiful. Beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. And did you notice that this is something that I didn't realize until I read it afterwards in the meal ticket segment. Harry Melling has no character dialogue. The only time he speaks is when he's on stage performing. Yeah, of course I noticed that. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you notice that? I guess I didn't. No. (laughs) Because he was doing so much with his face that like it felt like he was conveying so much that I guess I didn't realize that, yeah, he never spoke a word. All right. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, okay. And then the last thing, which is probably also you're going to react the same way. The last thing that I learned from reading about this movie is that Brendan Gleeson is Donald Gleeson's father. Yeah. You didn't know that. No. I knew they had the same last name, but I had no idea they were father and son. I'm so embarrassed to be related to you right now. (laughs) Well. Lucia, I'm sure we've even talked about this before. I don't know. Maybe. My memory is horrible. That's probably what it is. I've probably learned this like seven times and forgotten it every time. That is so funny. Yeah, I I totally knew that. I thought you knew that too. I think it's great. They're both so great. I love them. (laughs) Well, he passed on his amazing acting genes. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, that's it for me for fun facts. I don't know if, uh, if you found anything, any tidbits that were worth mentioning. No, I didn't find any fun facts either. The only thing was how the Coen brothers were skeptical about releasing it on Netflix at first. Because it had like a very short release in theaters. Mm -hmm. I think it was only LA and New York. And probably just to qualify for the Oscars and awards. Yeah, where it had like a theatrical release. I think it was just those two cities. And then it was mainly released on Netflix and they seem to have like there were a couple of interviews that I was reading that they had done and they were initially really skeptical about releasing it on Netflix because they kind of belong to that group that snobby group of filmmakers who think that Netflix is not viable enough is not sort of important enough that seems to be an ongoing debate now with filmmakers but they said that they kind of had to get over that stumbling block in a sense when they decided to work with Netflix well I was surprised because the Coen brothers I would not have guessed that they would release a movie on Netflix but yeah yeah, I don't know good for them I think you know from a, a filmmaker's perspective when you're releasing something on Netflix you're going to reach a much larger audience. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I'm sure this movie has gotten a lot more attention on Netflix than it would have if it had only had a theatrical release. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think from that perspective, I think it certainly benefits 
filmmakers, because if you're making a film, I mean, you want it to reach an audience. You want people to see it. Mm -hmm. And Netflix certainly qualifies, right? Yeah. Okay, so the moving on to the ratings. The ratings for this movie on IMDb, the critic ratings were 79% from 48 reviews. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 91%. Yeah, I saw that. It did very well critically. Yeah, I mean, 79 is great already, but 91, that surprised me. That felt too high. I don't oh, know. Really? I didn't I didn't hate this movie or anything, but Compared to maybe just compared to the aspects that I like in other Coen Brothers movies, this was lacking all of the joy, I guess. So, yeah, but the Coen Brothers, they tend to be critical darlings, right? Well, sure, yeah. So, I'm in the sense that's not surprising to me mm-hmm. because they're always critics love their work. Yeah, I guess so. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe they reached a point where, like, a critic doesn't want to pan a Coen Brothers movie. Maybe. Anywho. <laughs> Actually, I'm just curious, Janet. Would you recommend this movie to anybody? I would recommend it to someone who I thought would enjoy this type of film. Or, you know, obviously, if you're a fan of the Coen Brothers, obviously, you're probably going to enjoy it or you're probably at least going to take the time to watch it. I don't know that it would necessarily be something that I would be like, hey, you have to watch this. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, if you like this type of genre, if you enjoy films about the Old West, yeah, sure, I'd recommend it. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a break before we move on to our final segment. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Girl Tries Life podcast is a fellow Alberta Podcast Network member and is all about showing that women are capable of anything when they have the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, a stress reduction coach who is all about helping you reduce your stress so that you can actually enjoy your daily life. Imagine that. In the Girl Tries Life podcast, we alternate between interviews with incredibly inspiring ladies who break down how they got to where they are and coaching episodes that leave you with tangible resources and skills for your own life. Life isn't stressless, but we can help you stress less. So I hope that you'll check out the Girl Tries Life podcast. You can find it at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast. And remember, the most important thing in life is that you try. And we're back. And it is time for our segment, Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza. It's time for Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza. These... It feels weird Why? to recast Tony Danza into a movie like this. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yes, it definitely does. Now, I don't know if you had any difficulties picking the role for him with this, but uh, I don't know. I actually decided pretty quickly. I did as well. Okay. I mean, it wasn't that I couldn't find a role for him. I just thought, I don't want to do this to Tony Danza. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then who did you recast him as? Well, I think it should be obvious because Tony Danza is a star. Mm-hmm. And Tony Danza can sing. Mm-hmm. So I cast him as Buster Scruggs. Very nice. I also cast him as Buster Scruggs. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like the most obvious place to put Tony Danza 
Yeah, of course. Star of the movie, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and he and he does. He sings, so he could do the the musical numbers. Yeah, I actually would love to see that vignette reshot with Tony Danza in the lead. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that would that would be something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well that one that segment was faster than usual. Just plain we agreed. Done. So quick. So, uh, next month we do have a treat coming up. Um, well, they're all treats in my opinion, but we will have a special guest again, I think. Yes. And the movie that we'll be recasting was chosen by our special guest. And the movie is Gone in 60 Seconds, the Nicolas Cage version. Is there more than one version? Yeah, it's a remake from a movie from the 60s, I want to say. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the original. But, yeah, I do remember reading that it was a remake. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I only know of the of the Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie version. Oh, my God. She's in this? It's been so many years since I saw it. Yeah. Well, I take you haven't watched it yet. You're going to have to watch it. <laughs> yes. I have <laughs> some homework. Who, who the stars are. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to watching it because I remember liking it when I saw it the first time. But in that way that, like... It's not the kind of movie that I'm going to revisit regularly or recommend to other people or whatever, but it was just like a fun, dumb movie to watch. Well, I have never watched Gone in 60 Seconds. This is going to be a first for me, so I'm really excited that our guest selected this this movie. Okay, great. Well, then, we will see you now. Oh, uh, we are on all the social media stuffs as re-podcasting, and if you have any film suggestions that we could recast or if you want to complain about our sound or if you want to give some clever jabs at us then you can email us at repodcasting at gmail.com yes and like if you're going to email us some sick burns make sure that you spell them correctly yeah other swear words everything should be spelled correctly or we're not going to take you seriously because we are the grammar police as well here at repodcasting absolutely and we will tear you to shreds if uh your (laughs) review is full of errors sick burns but only if they're spelled right (laughs) amazing well as always thanks for joining me janet oh thanks lucia it was a good one i enjoyed this excellent me too all right well we'll see you next month then Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, Lucia here with a quick correction. Our guest for next month's episode watched Gone in 60 Seconds and thought it was so perfectly cast that she didn't want to recast it. So our next movie will be Hocus Pocus. Hope you'll watch it and recast along with us. Looking for tickets to major sporting events, concerts, or theater events in your area? Use the ticket resale site, seatgiant.ca. Seat Giant is Canadian-owned and operated, and they guarantee every ticket. All of their ticket prices are in Canadian dollars, even for events that are in the U.S. You can use the promo code APN, all lowercase, at checkout to get 5% off your purchase. What does the APN stand for? Alberta Podcast Network, of course. So find more than a million tickets at seatgiant.ca and use the offer code APN to get 5% off at checkout.